0: Our guest today I'm Personally Speaking is the great NFL champion Matt Burke. Please stay with us. and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Matt Burke joins me now. Matt is the Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota, running alongside Dr. Scott Jensen in the Minnesota gubernatorial election. Matt is also a 15-year veteran of the NFL and is a Super Bowl champion. He spent most of his professional career playing for the Minnesota Vikings. Matt is a graduate of Harvard University with a degree in economics. He's married to Adriana, and together they're the parents of eight children matt's catholic faith has always been central in his life he's a pro-life advocate and in 2019 he and his wife started unity high school to provide catholic education in grades 9 through 12 in his hometown of burnsville minnesota he's here with us today to talk about why he became involved in politics about his catholic faith and the values that matter the most to him joining me now i'm so pleased to welcome to personally speaking matt burke matt burke's our guest i'm delighted to have you on but here's my question my, my first one um, I understand the talent it takes to get into Harvard. I understand the talent it takes to be a great NFL player. I cannot understand where the talent or the strength could come from to be able to raise eight kids.
1: Where do you- <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's easy. You just got to marry the right woman.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, let, um, let me ask you about that. Every weekend when I do weddings, I, that's what I ask the couples. I tell me why. Of all the people in the world, this is the one. Adriana, your wife, how did you know this is the one?
1: Gosh, you know what? I think maybe I knew because um, she just made me want to be a better person, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think that's that's when I knew it wasn't about uh, you know about her or me. It was just like I just I just felt this desire to want to be better in every way, and you know, I was born and raised Catholic. You know, I've always been Catholic, but I wouldn't say always the most devout or necessarily. Um, even for a time not really practicing but uh, when i met her it was sort of like the the wake up call i kind of said well yeah, geez, i got to start figuring some things out because life mm-hmm. is now it's going to be about a lot more than just than just me and so i think when someone inspires you to be better right that's that was i guess that was kind of the uh the bell for me that went off
0: let's go back Matt to that experience of growing up that uh, family of origin for you what when you look back? Because now you're in the role of being a, an important parent in the life of your children. What did your parents do right in raising you?
1: Well, we went to mass every Sunday. Uh, never okay. missed mass, and okay. um, we didn't talk about the faith a lot. They found a way to send us to Catholic school, even though we didn't have any money. Mm, okay, but um, they're 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 people of action. Um, you know, they they performed the corporal works of mercy. Huh. I remember them as kids. You know, they would be volunteering down at the at the Catholic charities at the soup kitchen or always, you know, volunteering, whether it be the the Christmas wreath sale at the school or the, uh, commission of the little league, whatever it was, just always being involved in the community, volunteering their time. Even though, like I said, you know, we didn't, we didn't have, we didn't have any money. Didn't really have any necessarily the the free time to do that, but, um, they were models of, of sacrifice of putting their, putting their faith into action. And I think, you know, if you want to teach your kids, um, and you know, we know like this is paramount, right? Like you talk to any parent now; they're they're so worried about their kids and this culture, and how do I raise them, and how do I how do I keep them Catholic? And I mean, the the number one, I think, the best thing that we can do as parents is is model it, model the type of behavior, model model virtue uh, and character, and 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 perform those those corporal works of mercy. I think that's the best thing we can do. That's what that's what I remember as a kid.
0: That's really important. Matt Burks, our guest. Matt, um, when you talk about coming from a background that is modest, uh, not a lot of money financially, and then you have an opportunity through the world of sports to come into some decent money, how do you keep balance? Like There was a guy, George Martin, used to play for the Giants we had on the program. Yeah, and sure. He now handles people's finances. And he says it's heartbreaking to him to see lots of guys who played in the NFL made millions and are broke because they didn't know how to manage or handle it. But how did you Keep your feet on the ground and not be. How did, how did you not have your head turned by money?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I can't say I always did it. You know, I think early on, yeah, I was a little <laughs> bit intoxicating for sure. And and I was very focused on, you know, quote, success, meaning worldly yeah. success. But John you know, reached the point where I'd had more worldly success than I ever thought was possible. I mean, I was, I'd signed the biggest contract in the history of the NFL for a center, mm-hmm. I was playing in my hometown which helped because I was surrounded by people who knew me my whole life. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't really care what I did. They didn't love me for what I did. They loved me for, for who I was. Mm-hmm. So, so that definitely helped. But, you know, I'd kind of reached this point where I'd had all this, all this success, but I, I, I wasn't really fulfilled. Um, I wasn't really happy or I didn't have the joy. I was like, you know, I was kind of sitting around looking around saying like, this is it. Yeah. I'd be a lot better than this. And, uh, you know, as I look back, I see, you know, I I see how God worked in my life. That's when my now wife came into my life, Mm -hmm. um, started having kids and, and, um, you know, I think, I think it's important for all of us who are raised Catholic. Um, we're, we're given the gift of the faith, right. As, as, as babies, as newborns, but at some point we have to claim the faith as our own. And, uh, I was really fortunate playing in the NFL. A lot of people don't know this. The locker room is a very spiritual place. And every team I played on in the NFL, we had a team chaplain who was there all the time. Door was always open. Uh, There was multiple Bible studies during the week, a couple study one night a week. Um, And it's probably one of the few places where your workplaces, where you're actually encouraged to grow in your faith. Um, Because, football's really hard. It's a hard game to play the NFL. There's these, there's these high highs and low lows and, you know, wherever you're at in your, in your spiritual life, I think in your heart, you know, like this isn't real, you know, none of this is, is real. Like I'm not that good. I'm not worth this money. My jokes aren't that funny. Um, and so, right. We're always, we're always searching out what's real, what's true. And, uh, but that was, that was very helpful to me to, um, just, you know, just kind of be around it for a few years. I never went to Bible studies. I was just kind of like, hey, you know, I just really focused on football. And, you know, I was, you know, raised Catholic, like, well, I already know all that stuff. But um, then when the time came that I I really wanted to to get serious and start asking questions and searching for some answers and, and just really kind of figure out, like, I say I'm Catholic, like, you know, what, is, what does that mean? Why, why, why do I still identify with being Catholic if I'm not on fire for it? Because there were most of the guys in the NFL are not Catholic. So, um, uh, but I'd see these Protestants who were, who were really on fire uh, for their faith. And it's like, well, I want to be like that. And so I really started to dive in on the Catholic faith and, and really, I think, relearn it or learn it, um, you know, what our, what our church is all about and, and uh, just fell in love with the, with the, with the genius of it. And, um, you know, so I really say, you know, football, Football and meeting my wife really, really brought me back to the to the to the Catholic Church, which is which is the you know as I look back, that's the that's the best thing that, that could have happened to me.
0: That's wonderful, Matt Burks. I guess you know uh, my first arrest at an abortion clinic. I was arrested with a guy named Mark Bavaro, who I'm sure you know, yeah, sure. and uh, and I remember him. Sure, then I got really interested in his life and career because he was getting arrested with me, and I I remember the uh, uh, Sports Illustrated magazine. You know, he would he would catch a touchdown and he. would of course, give glory to God. And, and the editorial they wrote was, Mr. Bavaro, um, you know, play football and keep your faith to yourself. And uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I wondered when you, because you, you're like, and I love you for it, you're an unapologetic believer. Uh, you're a Catholic Christian. This is who you are. You make no apologies. You are convicted in the faith. But uh, how do you handle blowback from people who want you to be an entirely secular person?
1: Well, I know I know what I believe and I know why I believe it. Yeah. Um, And I've spent a lot of time you know, researching that. So, um, I feel like, I feel like I'm pretty well equipped to, to defend it, defend my faith, defend myself in the public square. Um, and, uh, and I know that, you know, if you're standing up for truth, I know that the Holy spirit will guide me and, mm-hmm. uh, and God will, God will give me, give me the words, but, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a part of who I am. I can't, I can't separate it. Um, it, uh, it, it permeates every part of my life, every decision I make everything I do, how I look at certain issues. And, um, you know, I guess I've, I've got a great support system around me. I've got a great wife and kids and, uh, men's group and, and, and all those things. So it, it really doesn't feel like it's, it's a huge act of courage for me to, to do that. I look at it as, Hey, I have, I have an opportunity. Uh, I have a, I have a platform and, and, you know, when, when given the chance, um, you know, we're we're all called to to evangelize in uh in our own way, but I guess yeah, I don't. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, when when you, when you grow up the when, when you grow up the the chubby kid who's kind of the last one picked, or or you're you're playing in the NFL or whatever, you're you're just kind of used to criticism. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I I've been dealing with it my my whole life, and so it it it's kind of like water off a duck's back.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Matt has been running for lieutenant governor up in Minnesota. And I mentioned that to you because you get into politics, there's one very divisive uh, work to get involved in. And to be an active and uh, articulate and unapologetic pro-lifer is really walking a minefield. I I, I don't know if you have an insight into this, but I I find myself wondering, since we're going to spend eternity with God and a few years on Earth, when a guy like uh, joe biden or any number of other catholics who even once were pro-life decide for the sake of uh, fitting in political correctness to sell out the unborn i don't know how they look in the mirror and stuff and but you you deal with people in politics what do you make of the fact that both in both parties we have a lot of people who uh, are willing to give away life itself for the sake of a political expediency
1: yeah well I mean the devil's pretty cunning, right? And so I think he's convinced some of our political leaders that they actually are on the yeah. on the right side of this issue. I mean, I really think they believe that and so you know when when dealing with them, I mean, recognize that that um you know that they they're they're confused. They they've they've been misled and um I look at it as you know my job, our job not to just yell and scream and tell them they're wrong mm. although that's that's <laughs> that's what we that's where I always go first that's my initial uh, <laughs> reaction but um just try to just try to put the put the truth out there and um you know I've certainly spent a lot of time praying about it too you know my my running mate and I they've they've spent about 20 million dollars against us and yeah. it's the demonizing us and the only thing that they can keep saying that's, that's so extreme about us is that we're pro-life. Right, and right. Um, so, you know what, I mean, in this specific in politics, what what I've, and in, in Minnesota, you know, abortion is actually a protected constitutional right due to a state Supreme court case back in 1995. Mm-hmm. So, which is actually, I think is uh, um, in, in a way, you know, God knows what he's doing. So, uh, we, we can't ban abortion, but so, so what we have to do is really, truly, truly be and do pro-life, you know, being pro-life and do, that's not just saying we just want to outlaw abortion. Um, that's part of it, but we are going to have to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak mm-hmm. and build a system that truly does love and support women. Yeah, And, you know, I think if, if women who are unexpectedly pregnant feel loved, And supported and have, you know, whether it's financial resources, medical resources, all these types of things that they need, that they need, which which we are called as Christians to help provide them. You know, abortion is going to be legal in Minnesota, but we could make it unnecessary, which which would be the which would be the ultimate win. You know, I mean, and again, the devil's the devil's really, really good. Like, right. He's he's really good. So he's boiled this down into a political issue. Mm-hmm. it's so much bigger than right. a than a political issue. Um but uh yeah that's so I, I kind of like look at it like hey here's really a chance for us as pro-lifers yes. for one to educate people of what it really means to be pro-life people on both sides of the issue. Um what it really does mean to be pro-life it's a lot more than being against abortion. But then let's who's against creating a system where 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 women have uh, everything everything that they need in order to uh to to give birth and be and be and be great mothers to their children
0: you know what Matt Burke's talking about about 20 years ago Cardinal John O'Connor in New York said uh, any woman of any faith any background any culture who comes to us will get all the help she needs to make the choice for life and he pretty much bankrupted the Archdiocese in New York because he he meant it we're going to spend the money to make sure that as you say no one has to choose abortion um but but I think more than just Cardinal O'Connor and Matt Burke we all need to do that offer true alternatives with real support because in the end you're right it's all about winning over hearts and minds there yes. will always be a way yes. to get an abortion but win the hearts and minds now i'm going to go to the controversial issue matt was speaking uh with my friends at national right to life and he got into this issue of uh of mm-hmm. of rape and now i want to say especially because this uh, program is on Sirius xm on the catholic channel what i'm going to say now there's going to be lots of people to disagree with but um the church teaching is pretty clear that that child conceived in rape is an innocent person worthy of life. And if you're going to give capital punishment to someone, then find the father who did the raping and, and do it to him. But to do it to the baby who's a pure innocent is essentially what Matt said. And and I, I he's absolutely right in saying that. Matt, you'll appreciate this. I went to a public high school some years ago and everyone was ready to hang me when I said what I just said now. And, uh, and then the uh, A girl got up bravely at the mic to ask a question she says we all agree right that a child conceived in rape should definitely be like aborted right yeah 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 and then she said well i haven't said this in public before but she said 16 years ago my mom went on a date that ended in in rape and i am that child and who of you here in this auditorium wants to say that i shouldn't exist and you could hear a pin drop you know and she said by the way i'm not catholic so this isn't about religion but she said it's so easy to just say yeah abort the child of rape but I am that child," she said, and uh, boy, what a testimony she gave! But
1: well, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's—I have chills when you say that. It's—it's true. Um, Obviously, rape is a horrible thing. Yes, Um, but you know, light can always overcome darkness, and uh, and you know, they they always want to when you're having the discussion. They always want to use instances of rape. It's like, well, okay, what about the ninety-nine other right? They they. but it's, we, this is what I know. And this is really what got me uh, really involved in the pro-life movement. My wife was involved. I really wasn't doing much. I was still playing football and kind of just, you know, just letting her do her thing. And and um, I was being pro-life, but I wasn't doing anything. And I went and spoke at a, uh, the Archbishop, Archbishop Laurie in Baltimore called me one day and said he wanted me to go speak. They were doing a rally on the, at the state house and I went down there and I met a woman who the reason I asked her why she was there she said I had an abortion when I was 18 years old and you know she was about 40 now and she said it's just uh it just wounded me deeply and I don't want other young girls to make the same mistake I did well lo and behold there's dozens of women there hundreds of women that night that were in the same situation and and as I've gotten involved even at a national level Right. There are millions of women in this country who the wounds of abortion, physical, spiritual, emotional, um, they're still suffering. And so this idea that if you conceive a child during a rape while well, just having an abortion, then everything's going to be fine. That, that's that's wrong. That's, that, that's not factually true. And, um, you know, and I too have met people who were conceived during rape and uh i think it's just it, it's an amazing an amazing act of love and sacrifice from 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 the mother and uh and and you know like i said an amazing way for to to show that light overcomes darkness and uh you know life isn't perfect it's it's messy sometimes but uh um, when out of something horrible and tragic like that uh goodness can can come can come out of that, and sure. uh it's it's incredible, and of course you know we don't we don't hear the stories like that like yeah. that enough in the in the media
0: no and and I want to speak to that because New York Times recently had a whole magazine section on is there really such a thing as post abortion syndrome and of course they the whole article was geared to debunk that anyone would have any emotional consequence from an abortion yeah. and 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 all I have is forty two years in priesthood and Literally thousands of women and their boyfriends and men that I've sat with and gone through confession with and seen the pain, the heartbreak, the the disaster of, of the damage done by it. And I, I want to say to The New York Times, why do you need not only to be pro-choice, but why do you, why do you need to take what real people experience, the heartbreak of abortion, and in some way say we well, shouldn't feel that way? Um, yeah. I mention that because you, Matt, not just on abortion, but on all the things that you stand for. The media is kid toward you you know even something like wikipedia i was reading wikipedia about you and they couldn't just do your biography they had to at the end explain how you're so controversial because of this point of view at that point of view. they were skewering your own biography against you and i thought to myself how does this guy deal with a media that cannot accept him because they cannot accept the principles that that sustain him
1: yeah well how do you deal with these into, folks? Yeah, yeah I, I try not to. Only when yeah. I have
0: to.
1: Um, you know, it, it just kind of goes back to, and I'm not right about everything. Look, I understand that. But, um, you know, there there is truth. Yeah. Right. There's, no, there's no your truth, my truth. There is the truth. and um, It's so you know,
0: close-minded just to say such a thing. Right.
1: <laughs> there's and, objective
0: and, truth. Yes. Yeah. Well,
1: And so like, if, if, if you, if you state the truth and somebody can't refute that, then the only thing that they have to do is to, you know, attack you or yell and scream. Um, because that, because that's all, that's all that, that they can do. Um, and so, right. Like I think our job is to try to discern what the truth is and we've got church teaching for that. And then to, you know, when asked you, 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 you put it out there and, um, don't you know, understand I mean Jesus said it multiple times in the in the Bible that you're going to be attacked you're going to be persecuted and so you know in, in a way it's sort of it's sort of assurance that you're that you're doing or saying the the right things but um yeah we have to recognize that we are we are in a culture that is dark we are in a spiritual warfare we don't live. In a, I'm, I'm sure you've read the book by Monsignor Shea from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. You know we are no longer in a time of Christendom. I think when I was growing up, I think we were, I, at least in my little cocoon, I felt like we were, but uh, but no more, no more. You know we are uh, we are we are the by the media, but we are the hunted right now, and we have to um, we have to we have to understand that because it changes our entire mindset of how we approach. Uh, of how we approach life, and, and we have to understand that, like when we consume news from from mainstream media, that that's that's where it's coming from.
0: Totally, Matt Burks, I guess Matt, um, you know, one of the ways you want to form and shape conscience in the future is by doing something very unusual in helping to establish a Catholic school. Tell us a little bit about how you came to decide to do that, and what your hope is.
1: Yeah, well, my wife. And I, we moved around a bunch when I was done playing. I moved to Baltimore, and then you know took a job in New York with the NFL league office. Anyways, was looking at a lot of schools, and just kind of felt like overall that, geez, even the Catholic schools were just so focused on getting kids into college. Like mm. it seemed like that was the goal. We're going to get kids into college. And it was yeah. like, okay, well, college isn't necessarily bad, but aren't we supposed <laughs> to like get kids ready for life and also eternity? Like, isn't that the the main goal? So. And we moved back to Minnesota where we're both from and wasn't just wasn't crazy about the the schools that we were looking at. And and there was a there's a part of the Twin Cities metro area where there's there's 10 Catholic grade schools. There was no Catholic high school. I thought, geez, this is just seems like fertile ground for for a Catholic high school that a lot of these students that were graduating from Catholic grade school were not continuing on to, to Catholic high school because of um, because of geographic reasons, also for financial reasons. And so I just kind of was spouting off one day, like I'd love to start a Catholic high school. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the the guy I was with is a he's in my men's group. He said, "Well, you should talk to this this other guy who I knew a little bit from the Catholic circle. He's talking about starting a Catholic high school." And Monsignor, I'm telling you, it just it was amazing how it sort of fell together. We 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 met and said, "Hey, I want a vigorously Catholic high school that really focuses on getting kids ready for for life and eternity." <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, we said, okay, let's do it. And and we were driving around looking at spaces to to start the school. And we drove by a Catholic church that neither of neither of us had heard of. And I thought I knew all the Catholic churches. It was originally built to have a school in the sixties. The, the the pastor there didn't want one. He fought it, I guess. And then he passed away in the nineties. And by then, the archdiocese here wasn't opening Catholic schools; they were closing them. And so they basically had a school with all like all this space that was being underutilized. And um just walked in there and said, Hey, would you guys like to have a school? <laughs> and, and it was like in a week we met with the parish administrator, the pastor, and the board, and we were approved and we were we were off and running. And so Unity Catholic High School is in year four. Um, we do things a little bit differently. Um on Wednesdays, we don't do any traditional academics. We do uh we call it real-world Wednesdays. So we try to. <laughs> I really do like that experiential learning like here's how you balance a checkbook or do a budget or change a tire things things we, we actually teach we teach an art of manliness class and a feminine genius class to our to our male and female students but um, but the best part is every day our students walk a hundred feet to mass and wow. um, you know and we have an adoration chapel there and there's there's a few nuns there that are that operate a food shelf and so our kids are kind of they our students are immersed in the in the Catholic experience if you will. And, uh, you know, it's just been fun to, to be a part of that project and watch how watch how God's grown it.
0: Matt, you know, uh, the majority of parents, grandparents who are watching or listening to a show like this probably won't have a chance to find a school like yours. Um, but I, I mention that because you hope they're going to grow where they're planted. You had an opportunity to go to Harvard, and, and you can't think of a more liberal, uh, progressive, woke interview uh, atmosphere than that. Were you tempted ever in the midst of all that stuff that they're selling to buy?
1: You know, I don't think so. I mean, I was, you know, kind of naive in a lot of ways. I mean, I just, you know, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah. Like St. Paul, Minnesota. I just thought everybody was Irish Catholic. <laughs> uh, and then I get to Harvard and I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I th- there, the seeds had been planted in me. To, to know what the truth was. I was also very fortunate. I had a couple, a uh, couple roommates in college who I, I wasn't into politics at all, but they were like political animals. In fact, one was from Massapequa. Uh, uh right. Chaminade <laughs> High School. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, I would sort of ask them questions and then they would, they would indoctrinate me, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're very conservative. And so I think that, that, that helped me, um, you know, navigate those those waters, but it certainly is. It was kind of you know, woke before woke was even yeah, it's true. even, even yeah. a thing. Uh, before we even had a had a term for it. um But uh, yeah, like I said, I look back. You know, God surrounded me with with good people and and uh, and protected me.
0: I want to thank Matt Burke for being with us. Uh, I mentioned he's running for lieutenant governor of Minnesota and uh, uh, a lot of years with the NFL. But when I listen to you, Matt, I'm reminded of an old friend of mine. Now I I know in heaven is Wellington Mara. And, oh. and when, when he got involved with pro-life athletes, uh, a lot of people told him, you know, you don't want to go near that. It's so controversial. And he say, our whole faith is controversial. But, Amen. you know, <laughs> he said, how do I keep silent on the thing that motivates me? And as he said many times, he said, I'll be on earth, what, 80, 90 years if I'm lucky, but I'll be with God eternally. And I don't want him to say, Wellington, did you know the truth and not speak it? And yeah. when I listen to you, Matt, I, I hear Wellington again, because you know the truth, oh. you speak it, and uh, and thank you for all that you do.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. We 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 have all got a role to play, right? As we're yeah. as we're here on Earth, and we need to we need to just embrace that. And uh, yeah. yeah, Monsignor, thanks for thanks for thanks for having me, and thanks for your thanks for what you're doing here with this with this ministry.
0: As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me, you can write me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Balsanti. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer of Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandavitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.